sure yeah. that that's that the energy is available and mm -hmm. affordable. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure it's abundant. And yeah. so we worry about any policies at the state level mm -hmm. or at the federal level that would restrict access to producing, extracting, and producing energy here in America. And that could take the form in Colorado of a, of a ban. Right. Uh, it could take effect at the federal level of restricting production on federal lands. And we just took a look at that because we are hearing people on the campaign trail. It sounds very exciting. Let's ban all the production on federal lands. And you hear people go, yay. Well, what that would mean here in Colorado, you get 42% of your energy production from federal lands. That would have a devastating effect in Colorado. It would affect your ability to spend on education, water conservation. All of the royalties that you get here you know, would be impacted. So we're trying to hold politicians of all stripes, all colors, accountable for what they're saying. That was Karen Harbert, president and CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Institute for 21st Century Energy. Welcome to What Turns You On, the Colorado Oil and Gas Association podcast presented by CH2M. I'm Steve Ludwig, your host. We sat down with Karen at Koga's 2016 annual Rocky Mountain Energy Summit, so you will hear some background noise during the interview. During our chat, I uh, say she's president of the chamber, but I left off the rest, so just to be clear, she is the president of the Chamber's Institute. Karen is a major player in Washington when it comes to energy policy debates and has some amazing insight. We cover a lot of ground in the interview, including how dramatically shale development has changed the global energy picture, how natural gas and liquefied natural gas is impacting not only the Rocky Mountain region, but the rest of the country, and how the U.S. export ban, the ban exporting U.S. oil that was lifted earlier, how that's having an impact on the industry as well. We'd like to thank CH2M for sponsoring this podcast headquartered here in Colorado. CH2M helps the oil and gas industry with upstream, midstream, and downstream work across the project lifecycle. This includes engineering, project management, siting, licensing, permitting, and water and wastewater management. For more information, check out ch2m.com. Now, before we get into the podcast, we do have a favor to ask. If you like what you've been hearing, please hit the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, because it will really help us continue to provide this great content to you for free, which we all kind of like a lot. So with that, on with the podcast. And we're back at the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Rocky Mountain Energy Summit, the theme this year of the conference is our energy evolution, and we're so lucky to have with us Karen Harbert, and I got that right. She's nodding her head yes. She's the president and CEO of the United States Chamber of Commerce, and if you're not familiar with them, we're going to have her talk about it in a minute. It's an incredibly important organization in the United States that speaks on behalf of business to, on uh, a number of uh, government policies and other areas that are important to business, especially the oil and gas industry. Karen, welcome. Thank you. Thank Glad you so much here. for being with us. And can you tell us a little bit more about the chamber than that uh, horrible introduction I just gave you? <laughs> no, you did quite well. But you're absolutely right. We're the largest business organization in the country. We represent about 3 million businesses in every corner of the country and in every industry imaginable. And we follow about 300 to 400 issues on any given day. And wow. Our, so our bread and butter is, you know, what's happening in the federal legislature, what's happening on the regulatory front, what are some egregious lawsuits that we need to get involved in, and most importantly, it's to educate our state and local chambers all across the country, of which you've got some great ones here in Colorado. We've been very, I think our chambers do do a great job uh, across the board on a number of important issues to a, a number of other a number of areas. So um, let's just jump right into it. 
we were talking before we started recording about how this U.S. shale revolution has really impacted a number of businesses across the board. How are you? How are you seeing it, and your and your members seeing this uh, shale revolution? Well, you know, I think it's important to keep perspective. Let's go back ten years when we were recovering from hurricanes Katrina and Rita. That was just that was ten years ago. And what were we doing? We were expediting the export. I mean, the import of liquefied natural gas. We wouldn't have even thought about exporting oil. We were scrambling to find more oil and places to import from. And 10 years later, we're exporting natural gas, we're exporting oil. Our energy revolution in this country has changed the face of energy forever, not just for us, but for the world. And every single one of our 50 states is now invested in it. Right, it's amazing. No one, no one dreamt of that, as you're saying, a decade ago. No, I was yeah. in government. I, we were desperate <laughs> to find you know, new countries that would be exporting right. natural gas to us. And today we're turning those terminals around. We're going to get Jordan Cove done so we can get some what of this oil out that, of Colorado. What state is that in? So we're talking about the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, where's the Jordan Cove plant? So the Jordan Cove plant is in Louisiana, okay, but it will take... You know. Hey, uh, Steve here. The Jordan Cove LNG plant is actually in Oregon, not in Louisiana. It was a busy day, and we both got it wrong, and we both knew that that was not right. Uh, how that got confused is most U.S. LNG export facilities are along the U.S. Gulf Coast by the Gulf of Mexico. Jordan Cove is proposed for Oregon, which is along the U.S. West Coast. Now that we have that straightened out, back to the podcast. It will take you know, lots of the, the gas that you're producing mm -hmm. here, pipe it down to the Gulf so it can get to markets where it can be sold. So, so just so people know, Colorado and a lot of the mountain states produce a lot of natural gas, more than we can use in the states, so it has to go somewhere. The shale revolution, especially back east, uh, has really produced more natural gas than we're sort of knowing what to do with. And there's a number of uh, liquefied natural gas, they're called LNG plants, that are multi-billion dollar plants either being developed or either under construction or proposed to be under construction. When you say Jordan Cove, that's one of them. Right. And what's interesting is that, you know, we've been importing natural gas for a very long period of time. And those import terminals, those big LNG costly import terminals, are being turned around to be export terminals. That's how fundamentally different our energy future is today than it was a scant five years ago. Now, it's interesting, the Panama Canal, the expansion of that canal has also made, hasn't that made U.S. exports of liquefied natural gas? Because the ships were so big, they couldn't go through the old canal. Right. Isn't that making our gas more um, viable in, in markets like and, Asia? In like markets like Asia, you're exactly right. With these big tankers that transport all of our natural gas, being able to get to the markets that really need them. And, and keep in mind, if it's Asia, today they're paying you know, $13, $14, and you know, we're paying here a little over $2. So they would love to have it. It's not going to be at $2. Uh, but certainly we've got a price advantage in selling more into that market. So one of the things people don't know about that, um, we again, we talked about before we started recording, was how the one of the products of oil and gas development is something called liquefied natural gas. And that's what they call a feedstock, a base unit for chemicals development. Can you can you talk about how that's impacting the chemicals industry in the United States as well? It's the chemical industry, it's the fertilizer industry, it's the manufacturing industry. We're seeing a renaissance here on the back of the shale revolution. And, and let me be really specific because I think it's important for your listeners. If you look at Europe, Germany in, in particular, which is a very industrialized country, 
their natural gas prices there are four times what they are here. Their electricity prices are four times what they are here. And so their, their chemical industry is moving to the Gulf of Mexico, to the Gulf states, because we've got more affordable electricity, more affordable gas. The fertilizer industry that left America for good and went to the Middle East, guess what? It's back. That's good for our farmers. It's good for the Midwest. So you're seeing a complete renaissance in places around our country that had been deindustrialized. Ohio, Pennsylvania, when the steel industry left or went dormant, they're back. There's a All reason on the it back became called the Rust Belt. Yes. Right? Because the steel left. That's exactly yeah. right. And now they're back. And people, you know, Cory Gardner was here earlier mm-hmm. and he said, you know, from the shale revolution. Cory Gardner is a U.S. State, uh, U.S. senator from the state of Colorado. Please continue. And he spoke this morning, and he's from a very small town here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he said, as soon as you graduate from college, you left. You didn't come back. Now they're producing, you know, oil and gas in his small town. And he said, so my friends are sorry to move back to my hometown. And that's happening all across America: Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wyoming, North Dakota. People left and went to where there were jobs. Now they're staying and being able to stay at home. So just I sort of just want to hammer home this point. So if I'm a manufacturer of anything, it's an automobile or a widget, what have you. So if my electricity is cheaper because the natural gas to fire my power plant is cheaper and the other things I need are cheaper because chemicals are cheaper because I could get them for cheaper in the United States because of this shale revolution, that has a trickle-down effect or a multiplier effect that people aren't really talking about when it comes to the shale revolution, it seems like to me. No, you're right. We're, not only is our complete economy more competitive, but let's not also forget that we're saving consumers money. Not only are the products more competitive, but they're spending less at the gas pump. They're spending less on their utility bill, so they can actually choose where to spend that money or to save it. More disposable income, that's a pretty good deal for you know, America. Now, something that happened earlier this year, no one, I think a year ago, actually would have expected to happen. And that's the lifting of the oil export ban from the lower 48 United States. For 40 years, it was against the law to export oil that was developed. Alaska was okay, but everyone else was a no-no. And I'm sure your organization had a lot to do with that amazing political compromise in an era we don't make amazing political compromises anymore. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and how that came to be so quickly? Sure. It's almost one of those things where it just made too much sense not to do. But it was hard to get there. I'll be very honest, in an era of uh, political stalemate. When is it easy? (laughs) It's it's not easy. And and for your listeners to know, I mean, it was in place, it was put in place right after the era, you know, in the 1970s when the countries in the Middle East put an embargo on selling us oil. And so we went into, we got to protect ourselves. So if you're not going to sell it to us, we're going to keep every molecule we have here in our country. And today, as we've been talking about, you know, we have a lot of oil and we have the opportunity to export it. But I'll tell you, um, what really resonated with the American people and with lawmakers, it wasn't that we're going to create jobs. It wasn't that the GDP of the country was going to go up. Those are sort of amorphous topics people don't really get. It was right then and there we were going to lift the sanctions on Iran. Iran was going to be able to sell oil into the market, and we were prohibited from doing so. And that innate feeling of that's unfair, that's un-American. If they can do it and they're sort of the enemy and we can't, let's make this right. Interesting. I didn't know that had such a big pull in that whole debate. That's that's a great insider information that... I hadn't heard before. It really resonated. Yeah. Whether people were educated on why we had mm-hmm. it, did we have enough oil, but when they heard that, they're like, we should have the same opportunity as those guys. Right. How do you think that, one, I mean, again, it's a major, major, po- a huge policy shift. Absolutely. I don't think anything anyone can under overstate how big that is. 
How do you think that will help the industry when prices come back up a l some? Um, do you think that will really help create more jobs in the United States and, and help, you know, basically the industry sort of get back on its feet from this downturn? Well, I think you're seeing already, we're exporting now about 600,000 barrels of oil a day. And that doesn't seem like a lot to some, it seems like a lot to some. That's 600,000 more than we did nine months ago. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and so countries that are interested, they're, they're taking a little bit and seeing, can this work? Are they reliable? Is this the kind of oil that we can use in our country? And the answer is yes, all the way around the globe. So that means when we're able to produce more, when the market gets back in balance, we got a lot of people that want to buy our oil. That's great. Now, one of the things that you're working on, the Chamber's working on, are policies that impact the oil and gas industry. And I think we've seen it a lot here in Colorado where there's a lot of activity around possible policy changes, some in Washington. It's a, um, this will probably air, you know, we're never sure when these airs, but this will air before the election. So there's a lot of conversation on the presidential trail and it seems like there's both sides always get really excited uh, that they're going to, um, either side is going to get 100% what they want, which is never really the case. What are some of the policies that you're following that are concerned to the, to the U.S. Chamber and, and of concern to oil and gas industry folks that you're talking to? Absolutely. And let's remember that energy is not just important for the produ producers of energy. Right. It's for the consumers. So right. it affects every American business, mm -hmm. every American family, every industry. And so, so we got to get the balance right. And we talked about, one of the things everyone talks about is like, of course, well, the pump, because we all have to get, right. we all get gas. But the other thing we already talked about is like, wow, if my business, if a business can operate for less money, that's a competitive advantage. I might be able to hire more people. As you said, products right. might be more, uh, m might be cheaper. There's a whole host of things that people aren't aware of, and I think that- So to ensure that, yeah. that, that's, that the energy is available and mm -hmm. affordable, mm -hmm. we want to make sure it's abundant. And yeah. so we worry about any policies at the state level mm -hmm. or at the federal level that would restrict access to producing, extracting and producing energy here in America. And that could take the form in Colorado of a, of a ban. Right. Uh, it could take effect at the federal level of restricting production on federal lands. And we just took a look at that because we are hearing people on the campaign trail. It sounds very exciting. Let's ban all the production on federal lands. And you hear people go, yay. Well, what that would mean here in Colorado, you get 42% of your energy production from federal lands. That would have a devastating effect in Colorado. It would affect your ability to spend on education, water conservation. All of the royalties that you get here you know, would be impacted. So we're trying to hold politicians of all stripes, all colors accountable for what they're saying. Because if that's what they're going to do when they get to office, we got to walk into this wide-eyed of what this might mean for our economy. Right. And do you find, like, I, 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 you know, we've, we've talked to a number of lawmakers in this podcast, and they've been very, like, you're very generous with their time and very open. And I think, like, a, a U.S. senator or a, or a member of Congress or even a state lawmaker, they have so many issues that they have to deal with. I don't think people really appreciate. They have to understand the crazy complexity of our medical system and, and you know, Obamacare and all that stuff. And then the energy side and the concerns about uh, climate change and global warming and, you know, transportation issues and, and, Banking and education. and immigration all, all, I mean, it's and a, taxes. It's a lot. Yeah. And how do you help lawmakers that are so fractured and their staff can't, you know, keep up with everything either? How, how do you help... You know, well, you've put the, the nail on the head. That's the importance of the U.S. Chamber and also the entire state and local chambers across the country to help educate 
locally elected officials, nationally elected officials to make better decisions because they can't be smart on everything. I mean, there are very few people that are elected to Congress because they were an energy wonk. So you've got wonks or like a, us. Or a wonk on anything. Or a wonk on anything. <laughs> you've got a good delegation here. They're pretty uh, smart on energy issues because yeah. you're an energy state, but maybe less so on other issues. So our job is to try and give them balanced information, help them get smarter, advocate for things that we think are really important to grow this economy. And that's an important point. Mm -hmm. This economy is not growing to its full potential right now. Energy can play a bigger part. Getting rid of excesses regulation so we can invest more. There's a lot of things we could do to unleash this economy and achieve our full potential. We're trying to help members of Congress, governors, which are very important in this debate, to be smarter and unleash the potential of the American economy. Where you, where you, Colorado has been known to for environmentalists in the oil and gas industry to sit down and hammer out some reasonable compromises. Are you seeing other pockets of hope, because we know how paralyzed Congress is, of areas where, you know, the business community and the environmental community, not that they have to be at odds, but sometimes they are, can have sat down and said, okay, let's figure out what, what a good path forward that's sort of a win-win for everyone. Have you seen other places? Well, let me give credit to Colorado yeah. because you have proven what we firmly believe in at the chamber is that we can do energy and the environment simultaneously. But unfortunately, I think the debate has devolved to energy or the environment. It sounds that way. And that is a stalemate that just will not work because that's right. not going to happen. We're not going to have one or the other. And it's not realistic. We have proven right. we can do both. Yeah. I mean, look, the emissions in our country are coming down. Mm -hmm. And the emissions in Europe that has a big cap and trade system are going up. So we've got to be doing something right here. And it all goes back to innovation, technology, all the things that we do right in this country that will address the issue of emissions. But... You know, we have you know, elements of keep it in the ground. We can't use energy. And we have others that are on the other side of the spectrum. The reality is, is the truth is in the middle. And we've got to have that right policy balance to achieve our full potential while ensuring that we're good stewards of the environment. And we've proven we can do it. And that's where the debate needs to go. So one thing, um, since we've, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are going to follow at some level of interest of, of all these discussions, it seems like we're more calcified in our public statements, but we're still willing to compromise behind closed doors. Am I reading that right? Because otherwise I'm feeling like, wow, I'm losing hope because the camps are becoming so my way or the highway. Are you seeing still some room of rational people to sort of say, okay, let's get this figured out? Well, I think when you have the political debate, you're right. There are yeah. far more hardened positions. But when you've got an industry that's, you know, survival is on the line, they actually, they have a responsibility to stay in business, right. uh, to be somewhat profitable and, and deliver a quality product on time, on schedule, affordably, that they want to sit in the room and help people make the right decisions. And that's the way it used to be. I'm hoping that we can, you know, find these pockets, you know, and grow those pockets. But... Uh, if people retreat to their respect, we had, you know, a, a big protest yesterday uh, it's for a pipeline called the North Dakota Access Pipeline, right? This is to and take stuff out of North Dakota, get it to Illinois, up into the Northeast. They can't do it right now. And we have people, you know, laying down. It's, it's, you know, they used to buckle themselves to the trees and now we've got them, you know, they don't want a pipe. What's wrong with having a pipeline? You know, we need it. It's going to provide more affordable natural gas up to, to the northeast. So, you know, we've gotten to a place in this country. We want to build anything. We don't want to do anything. And that, that's, that's not a really good recipe for economic growth. But you are hopeful. Like, again, not to brag about our own state, but to brag about our own state. Uh, we, hey, we did come to some compromise. And from what I see, and I'd like your... It seems to me if the energy industry is involved in the conversation and everyone can agree and you can do the spreadsheet right 
Now, does this work for everyone? It seems like, yeah, we can come up with reasonable stuff and move forward. Are you... I, that's the way it has to go. Yeah. And I, I'm an internally an optimist. Oh, and I think that's where we will go. And I think for those that are really strident on the you know environmental activist side, I think mm-hmm. the one note that I would offer to them is, you know, we have the most environmentally conscious industry here than any place in the world. And so I'd rather produce it here than produce it somewhere else that doesn't have those environmental standards. Right, because at the end of the day, a lot of this is going to get produced anyway, because our cars, we're going to keep buying cars, we're going to keep wanting to wear tennis shoes, we're going to need, you know, tubing in the hospitals, all of which is derived from petroleum. We're not going to turn it off overnight. And developing it here, producing it here, not only is good for the economy, but it's good for the environment. No one's actually, I haven't heard, that's a very compelling argument, because most people don't realize that a majority of the world's oil, and you do, of course, but a majority of the world's oil and gas assets are actually owned by governments, not by private companies, and by developing it in North America, we'll include Canada in that, and I think Mexico's coming along with its energy reforms. You have a chance to do that more environmentally responsibly than in other areas. Uh, CH2M Hill, which is the sponsor of this podcast, really takes that seriously and helps our clients, you know, develop energy in an in a environmentally responsible manner. Well, and the technologies mm-hmm. we need, the far more environmentally conscious mm-hmm. chemicals that we need, how to conserve water, which is a big issue here in the West. Big issue. I mean, we have the ability to, you know, extract oil and gas with minimal use of water. Uh, and that's a big that's a big issue for people here. So, you know, CH2M Hill and, and the people in the industry that are helping our oil and gas industry across the country be more efficient, be more uh, effective is is tremendously important. And going back to the point, wouldn't we rather produce it in Colorado than in? And I hate to pick on a country, but I could pick on Venezuela or sure, Nigeria. You, bet. you know, and where they don't have the same standards, and the government wants to produce it and sell it as cheaply as they possibly can, which doesn't necessarily mean adhering to the high standards that we have here. You know, I I have a feeling that we could talk for another four or five hours, but I think that's about our time. Is there anything you'd like to bring up that I haven't brought up, and then we're going to have you. Give us your, you know, website or how to get a hold of you or follow you on Twitter. So is there anything else you'd like well, to I mention? Think, you know, for your listeners is to listen hard to what people are saying on, on the election trail. Because we're going to, whoever's going to win the presidency, whoever's going to be in the Senate, whoever's going to be in your state Senate, they're around for a while. Uh, and help them be better effective legislators. Tell them what's important to you. Listen to what they're saying. And most importantly, get out and be part of the process. Great. Now, how can people find out more about the U.S. Chamber? All right. Well, we've got two ways you can do this. All right. For all the issues that are not energy related, we have uschamber.com. We're very active on social media, et cetera. If you want to find out about energy issues in particular, mm-hmm. and we have a treasure trove of information. It's energyxxi, so it's energy21, energyxxi.org. That, Rome, that home Roman numeral thing. thing. Well, we, we were too slow to get energy21.org, so energyxxi.org, because we are the Institute for 21st Century Energy. There That's you the go. century you live in. All right. Go there. You'll find a lot of information. Oh, that's great. If it's not there, send us an email. All of our contact info is on the web. Oh, great. Now, do you have a Twitter handle? or I do. What is that? We've got at energy21. Okay. And I've got me, at Karen A. Harbert. So, so fa- spell Harbert for people. H-A-R-B mm-hmm. as in boy, E-R-T. Awesome. Karen, you've been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for your time. We're honored that you were uh, spent some time with us this morning. Great. Good to be with you. You have been listening to What Turns You On, the Koga podcast presented by CH2M. CH2M helps the oil and gas industry with upstream, midstream, and downstream work across the project life cycle. 
This includes engineering, project management, siting licensing permitting, and water and wastewater management. For more information, check out ch2m.com. For more podcasts and to learn more about the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, go to koga.org.